NG Meets is brought to you by NG Digital. Visit our website at www.ng-digital.co.uk and you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash NG Digital or follow us on Twitter at NG Digital UK. Hello and welcome to another episode of NG Meets. It's episode 9 and this week we're talking to Matt Turpin. Matt is editor and founder of the Beestonian magazine, a magazine that celebrates, unsurprisingly, Beeston, which is, as you probably know, a town on the edges of Nottingham. He's also a member of the UNESCO City of Literature uh, team, helped Nottingham become a uh, UNESCO City of Literature a couple of years back and now helps working with them on the numerous things they've got going on including of course the poetry festival that is happening at this moment talking of which of course we spoke last week to Georgina Wilding who is the Nottingham Youth Poet Laureate and a big part of the festival and works with uh, Matt on things like that and you can still check that one out and uh, in past shows as well I've linked into that Henry Normal, one of the uh, organisers and founders of the Poetry Festival and uh, an ambassador of the City of Literature campaign is another person. Matt is also uh, involved in the uh, in a podcast himself. It's uh, the Scott Bennett Comedy Pubcast, which is recorded uh, as and when they can record it. Of course, Scott himself was a guest on a previous episode of NGME, so it's all tying up nicely there. It was great to sit and chat to Matt. I've known him a few years and it was good to chat about how he got into uh, into writing and journalism, uh, how, he, how and why the Beestonian launched and how that's led on to much bigger things and a little bit about some of his, uh, his other work, including some work he's been doing recently regarding uh, going on at Boxdo Borough Council. So this is a great show. It was great to chat to Matt. We also had a chat about the fact that... Uh, Nottingham, along with Norwich, will be hosting uh, Nottingham City of Literature's international event next year, uh, which there'll be obviously a lot more coming out on that. At the time we spoke, it had just been announced, that news, so uh, very early days in that. It was great to chat about that and about Nottingham's bustling literary scene, so uh, enjoy that. Don't forget, you can check out all our shows at ngdigital.podbean.com. This is NG Meets episode 9, sorry with Matt Turpin. I'm here with Matt Turpin, who is uh, founder and editor of the Beestonian, and you're also a member of the UNESCO City of Literature team. That's correct, isn't it? Uh, yeah, not in the UNESCO City of Literature. That's yeah, so, uh, the official title, I think. Well, thanks for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Great to speak. Obviously, we've known each other a while now. Yeah, yeah, a fair amount of time. Yeah, it, it was back when we were both help, helping out with a uh, 
festival at Barton's. It, yeah, Glastonbury, I think it was. It was uh, Oxjam Festival and everything like yeah. that. All tied into when I started dabbling in music promotion. Which yes, was something which was a uh, quite fun. But yeah, yeah, you were so, quite heavily involved in the sort of early years of, of Oxjam, obviously. Yeah, well, things of. Oxjam was a funny thing because it started at the same time as the Beestonian in, in, yep. in uh, autumn of 2011. And uh, that was extremely fortuitous because both were similar sort of things. They were local things which uh, weren't expected to succeed. And um, starting from magazines, uh, when so many papers are closed and so many magazines are closed, it seemed ridiculous. Um, I start the festival when there's, you know, you can get, go to music, there's more venues in town than there ever has been. So yeah. it seemed a real conflict to be able to, you know, let's stick a festival in a town that's never had a festival and let's start a magazine uh, in, in, a, in a time when magazines are dying. So <laughs> we, we st- uh, collided. I basically met the people who did Oxjam, the person who did Oxjam even, uh, Carly Collingwood, and uh, we just became, um, we just promoted each other and cross-promoted yeah. and came on board the team. And, both of, our, both of us went, you know, sort of succeeded very much. And I've stepped away from Oxjam a couple of years ago now, but it thrives. It's, it's I'm massively proud of. Um, we got the the year left. We took the most money we've ever taken yeah. and of any festival that Oxjam, uh, Oxjam we've ever put on. Um, and we stepped away and I sort of thought, oh, I feel a bit bad because, you know, the next year we didn't take as much money. And I thought, oh, you know, we, we, they'll never follow in our footsteps. And, and then the next year, went and totally blew our total out of water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we did. We must have been rubbish. <laughs> but, like, but no, it's brilliant. It's a brilliant part of But it's the same sort of ethos, the, the idea of doing, focusing on beast and giving something um, absolute for beast and something which I'm incredibly... It was very lucky for two things start at yeah. the same time. and I, You could learn in parallel at the same time. Yeah, and I mean, Ox Jam Festival is incredible. And beast then on that day, it's just... I mean, the fact it survived so well through, you know, three years of Beeston basically being a work site, yeah. particularly as, you know, the high road where where a lot of the work was taking place on the tram is also almost the, the focal point. You know, Barton's has been, yeah. had always been the headquarters, I guess you want to call it, the sort of centre well, point of the festival. Well, it was terrifying. 2014, I think it was, one of the years when the... The, the tram works were in full swing and we weren't even sure if we could get people up and down to yeah. the road and that's that's crucial because some of the biggest well the biggest venues there and quite a number and we you know it was right right to right to the wire that we were being told I might not be able to actually get people uh, to these <laughs> gigs without having to take a two mile detour now I don't know about you but <laughs> so, it does a limit I, I like music. Music. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm going to have to walk two miles here but I'm not too sure about uh, the beauty of it is you can fall out of one venue into another yes. and just catch different music. And you can see, you know, we, we, there's about 100 bands on the day. And you can see at least, you know, 30 if you if you do that. Stick them out walking and you, you know, you, you're not going to do it, are you? No. So, but luckily, yeah, it's always been, it, it, it suffered. It's almost like the gods are smiled on it sometimes. It's been incredibly lucky that the weather's always seems to be very clement. Uh, there's been no real problems no real hassles um there's been no arrests or anything or any trouble it's incredible considering the numbers of people and yeah booze that gets drunk and there's been you know it's just gone it just makes it it just shows beast is so fit for a festival like that so yeah i'm very proud of it i'm very looking forward to this year's as well because uh, i'm going to go as purely as a punter this time i couldn't go last year because i had a baby uh, I was working last few before that, so this year I'm actually going to go down and see what it's like as a punter. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. It's always nice so, to see it from the other side, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I can take your promoter 
journalism hat off for an yeah, hour. Yeah, day. I'll probably end up backstage at you and just a habit. Someone spots you and knows you. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll so, uh, obviously, you mentioned the Beastonian, which started in 2011. And yep. for people, obviously, this the podcast goes out way beyond Beeston. So, for people that maybe aren't familiar magazine, do you want to give a sort of sort of yeah. description of well, what if you're, it is. If you're not in Beeston, probably move here. Yeah, I'd give that as the best piece of advice I could ever give you. Um, okay, it started, um, goes right back, I suppose, if you want an ancient history, I'll, I'll run through it locally. I used to make magazines as a kid. I was obsessed with making magazines, and uh, me and brothers would make, um, we'd fold up sheets of A4 and, yeah. you know, make magazines and sticker albums, we'll say. I was obsessed with Panini, so it's yeah. like I used to make sticker albums and, you know, used to spit glue them down my lap it was like, couldn't afford the glue. Um, and I, I've always been fascinated about it. I always wanted to be a journalist from quite a young age. Um, and uh, did the college paper, obviously, when I was at South Knots, and uh, I did the first issue, got censored on the first one by the... The bloke who the principal, whatever it is, I was really pissed off. So, the second issue, I went and did something subversive and got thrown off, of course. So, it was almost <laughs> killed my quality my, my attempt to be a journalist. And uh, I didn't really do anything after that. Um, I swanned about a bit, lived in Newcastle for a little bit, uh, moved abroad. Um, bizarrely, end up getting a little bit of work abroad. I lived in the Algarve and worked on a little magazine there for a little bit, which was bizarre. I wrote a definitive guide to English breakfast, I think, was one of my pieces. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so I was always, always wanting to write, but never yeah. really breaking through and never thinking it would happen. Then um, I, uh, I moved to Tunbridge Wells, of all places. Well, Tunbridge in Kent. I used to live in Tunbridge Wells. Um, and I worked at a pub and I started going out with a girl who was a journalist and one day she didn't want to do an assignment, so she says to me, um, cover for me. And uh, you say you're a writer, right? You want to write? Can you do an article for us? I'm like, yeah, sure, what is it? Oh, it's about a rugby club. And this is before the internet, you know. The yeah. internet was there, but I didn't have access. So I um, I, wrote, I uh, researched it in the library, really old-fashioned way, and actually got most of the information together and again, again I was a bit nervous so I phoned up the bloke who runs this rugby club that's been going for 150 years or something and I said to him can we meet up and have a chat I'm doing a piece and he went yeah fine yeah I'll meet you up with the spoons uh, on a Saturday morning we'll have a few ales and we'll chat over so I went there and at first I was doing a real proper you know writing job writing gig and that um, really terrified never interviewed anyone before like that and um, sitting there with a notepad and pad who comes in <laughs> Visors both for Guinness, and that's about all I remember of it. I can just remember coming out, walking out with him about four hours later, staggering out. And I lived across the road, I lived in a pub at the time, and he more or less had to carry me back because I tried to drink it, drink <laughs> for drink. And I got home, woke up the uh, next day, and tried to read my notes and couldn't read. <laughs> totally screwed up I had to phone him up and say I'm really sorry still remember his name and everything yeah. but it looks like I can't remember what I wrote so um, I thought I've just killed off my career anyway my you know, girlfriend at the time she'll dump me and I'll never I'll never be a journalist because I'm crap at it and but anyway if I phoned him up and said look I'm dead sorry and we met over a coffee and I got the story wrote the story and got paid for it so um, I thought I can do this um, and I, I wrote for him quite a few times for this little magazine down south. And it was good, good money as well. Uh, except I spent loads of money on expenses because I was daft. I'd get taxis everywhere. Yeah. And, uh, uh, again, I didn't have a computer. Uh, so I'd pay someone to type up my... I'd freehand free all my articles, take it to a shop, which would type it up and fax it over. And I had to pay for that <laughs> to, to <laughs> editor. So I, was, uh, I wasn't exactly the most efficient journalist. 
anyway, I worked at a BBC for a little bit off the back of that, um, only for a, for a bit. And then I thought I'd move back up knots because um, I got booted out of my house in Tunbridge Wells, pretty expensive living. And, uh, yeah, I found my way, way back up here and thought, yeah, I'll get a writing job. I'll get a job at the BBC. And no, <laughs> it's not a lot different. Um, and I didn't think I'd stay here because, you know, I, was, I didn't have any work. Um, I, I was I had a pretty bad drink problem at the time as well uh, when I moved back up here. Um, I was working at at Jonglers, of all places, oh, comedy yeah. place, uh, working with comedians, which was, which was a laugh. <laughs> um and yeah it, it was quite bleak and then i worked at did years working uh for a, for a university around here uh, in a department very badly paid not very good job um and i didn't i was a bit lost really for years and years i sort of gave up hope of becoming a writer and then in 2008 um i just had a bit of an epiphany and thought Give up booze, give up smoking weed, giving up all the other things, stop going out. I'm going to try and be a writer. And uh, I wrote to a friend who is a writer, who writes for The Guardian and he's a film journalist and all that, and said to him, Give advice, I need some advice. And he went, Specialise, that's your best thing. Um, and I thought, That's really good advice. So what do I know? And I used to write for Left Line every now and then. Yeah. Write, you know, I fell in with that the message board and I was really impressed with what they were doing, really inspired. I thought, well, they've done a Nottingham thing. I'm not really going to do that, but uh, I used to write. About, I used to always big up Beeston on there, so I thought, I'll write about Beeston. So I started a blog up in, uh, that year, which just talks about Beeston. It was just awareness of Beeston stuff like, um, you know, sort of Edwin Starr lived around here. You know, how weird yeah. that? And like, you know, people weren't really telling this story. I thought, I'll do that story because no one else is doing it. So I said, I thought, right, okay. So I phoned Edwin Starr's widow up. And she said, how did you get this number? And I went, it's on your website. And she went, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> this is great. And uh, she went, um, well, I'm going to church at the moment, so I can't really talk, but um, we can arrange another time. And I went, yeah, that's fine. Just before you go, can I, just, I need to ask us, why Why? Why did you know, Motown soul legend Edwin Starr live in, live in, in Beeston in Chilwell? Um, you know, it just seems incredible. He lives here, you know. He, yeah. He's not... You know, he's from America, and you know, why did he settle in this quiet suburb? He went, Well, he looked at Wollerton, but didn't like it. Thought, oh, that'll do. <laughs> and that, that became my first article. And then um, I started writing, it got, um, and it did all right, it did a lot better than I expected. People started reading it, and I was getting a bit, Whoa, this is weird. People, you know, blogging, um, as it was, this seems quite successful. Um, but where'd you take it? You know, that's the thing. And then a friend of mine who a former housemate uh, took me out for lunch and said, you should do a physical magazine. You know, you've got a lot of hits on your website. Why don't you do something? I thought he's mad. Then he sort of said, I'll give you 100 quid set up, you know, for uh, start capital. And my, I, I was temping at a, a pretty evil credit card company, and not which I won't mention the name of. Yeah, I think <laughs> probably tempted at the same place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, really hating what I was doing there. So I thought, well, it might work out, you know. That's well, what I've got to lose. So I so did, but I edited it. I remember I used to actually sort of um, pull my screen at an angle so no one could see it, and I'd be sitting yeah. on my work computers, actually, you know, sort of actually designing the magazine on MS, uh, MS Publisher when I should have been working. So thanks for that. Uh, anonymous bank. I'm not going to mention the name of. Um, and yeah, we got uh, an issue. So, <laughs> very hard to be. It was like, what, what, what do we do with this now? Yeah, I had no idea. So I took it around a few places, and they said, yeah, we'll stock it, and uh, it's free anyway. So there's no cash issues. 
and people liked it. And it took a few issues before we really found a feet. And then gradually people started coming to me and said, can I write to you? you know, can, I, can I do this? Can I help? I really like the idea of this. And that's fantastic. You know, I, I didn't expect that. I was thought I was going to write it all yeah. myself. And, and as more people came forward, and you know, we just started to get really good, high quality writing. You, you, you did a piece for something. You interviewed Peter Mansfield. Yeah. Peter Mansfield as well, which is a clue. You know, we got an, we got an interview with Nobel Prize winner. That's fantastic. So, it's a very good article as well. I have to get you back. Scariest article I've ever interview I've ever done. Oh really? I've interviewed obviously quite a few. Yeah, big names. Yeah. But you know, this is you yeah. know, like you said, a Nobel Prize winner is quite. Oh, that's yeah. it. Yeah, it's no, terrifying. Yeah, it? We've both got. I think. Well, it is. I've interviewed you know people like Shane Meadows and Paul Smith and mm. uh, Chris Packham was a bit of an odd one. Um, oh, yeah. So yeah, there's some. You know, we, I've done quite a few quite a spread of people that we managed to get in the magazine. Um, some really interesting. And it's just weird. It's just. I thought we'd run out of articles about Beast and yeah. in a few, few months. I thought maybe get to ten issues and perhaps off on the back and call it a day, and move on to the next project. Uh, we're 57 issues in now. <laughs> we, we have trouble. We, we're up to 20 pages. And we have trouble mm-hmm. actually fitting all the stuff in. You know, it's uh, there is so much going on. Uh, yeah. So it's an absolute joy to do. It's um, the amount of people that I've met. The, the whole team, virtually the whole team, that are, are part of the DC now. All people have just come on board. You know, they've come on board and said, um, Rob, I didn't know him beforehand. They've just uh, contacted me through a magazine. And they're great friends. You know, yeah. really good unit. And we really all work together. So, yeah, it's a... It's a bizarre thing. It's never had any master plan. Uh, but that's what I like. I like things to just go, grow organically and seeing where projects take you. Um, and, yeah, that one's taken me to some very odd places. Yeah, I mean, it's... I, I mean, obviously what, what we do is a Nottingham-based thing. And as you, you mentioned Left Line, and we spoke to Jared, because obviously they were just each hundred issues. Yes. And it's a similar kind of thing. It's It's grown out of basically a passion to represent... Yeah, that's it. Well, I mean, Left Line had that... When I was living down south, I'd tell, ask people about Nottingham and say what they knew about Nottingham and stuff. And they'd, they'd I'd, you know, find a map, a weather map, and whatnot in the paper and say, point to Nottingham, and they'd point right up like borders of Scotland. <laughs> they'd have no idea. Of it. It'd be Manchester and Newcastle, they'd get wrong, they'd assume it was there. No one knew. And when we didn't talk, like Robin Hood, you know, or or or, or gun crime yeah, <laughs> at the time. Shottingham was. Shottingham, yeah. And well, they say to me, like, oh, you're from. You're from Nottingham? Wow, okay. Like, like I was, you know, I'm, I was from Beirut or something. And it was, well, it's not really like that, you know. And when I moved back up here, it, there was this sort of feeling that we want to kick against what people, you know. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, I'm a facility, I'm a facility, I'm that's what I'm not, and all that. And it felt a bit like that. And, you know, Left Line got onto that, and they did a wonderful job. I mean, I remember... Um, Rather bizarrely, the first time I really realised they were on something good. I was on a, I was on a, um, on a cruise uh, down, down the Nile. Uh, <laughs> so I was, in, I was in Aswan of all places, and um, but on the evenings it was all you know, all cabaret, and it wasn't really my thing. So I found out they got an internet connection. You know, the slowest internet connection you can imagine. But I said, can I go on the internet like that, and I went on there and read the story about um, the xylophone man. And I thought, no one's done that. How? No. How? No one's done that. And I thought, what genius that basically think that these things we take for normal. He's celebrating. And that was really, really inspiring, what they did there. So I've always got a lot of love for them. Uh, and, and now I'm very lucky enough to work in the same office. Yeah. Same. So it, I see them put together. But, um, but yeah, I, I think it is an idea of giving a place a sense of identity um, and giving you something to be proud of, you know, and... 
now when I walk around the streets, you see Dave Bartram, some of his fish and whatnot, or you see, mm-hmm. uh, if you walk around Beeston, you see uh, Foxy calling out, selling fruit, or, you know, the, the people doing stuff, and you recognise them, you, they've got an identity to them. I think that's fantastic. Um, we, we've been denied that for so long, so, yeah, I'm, I'm a, a big fan of people who, who, who have that sort of pride. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult because... Obviously, there's the whole bubble thing, and obviously being um, from the area, you know, yeah. like you, you know, I live in Chilwell, you're uh, Attenborough, and I, I've, I've lived... I'm technically Beeston, it's just before Attenborough. I've lived, <laughs> you know, I grew up in Stapleford, which I you did. I did, yeah, yeah. So I've always lived in NG9. Yeah, yeah, me too. But, yeah. So it's hard, because obviously that's what you know, and that's where you gravitate towards, but it does feel like there aren't... I don't think... I can't think of any other places certainly in Nottinghamshire, mm. that that do such a great job of shouting about the great part of things. Yeah. To it, celebrate, you know, the Beastonian, and I think you're one of the founders of the Beaston Updated, which is... Oh, well, well, yeah, well, I came a bit late into that. Um, page. Yeah, that's... So that's become... That's a bit Frankenstein's monster. <laughs> yeah. 13,000 members now, which was... That was actually started up by a guy called John Speed, uh, who was fed up with the ranting rooms on the internet. Oh, these, sort yeah, of, so these negative sites which just ranted about stuff and were, everything's rubbish. And we actually thought, well, it's not, is it? We had the Beastonian Facebook page and we didn't really want, that was a, a, a page, not a group sort of thing on Facebook. So this guy called John set up and, uh, yeah, we attracted 13,000 people in something two or three years or something. And has become sort of the, the message board for uh, for this area. It's terrifying. It's <laughs> I get loads of messages all the time saying, yeah. you know, on, on Facebook, on message, I don't really use Facebook anymore. I get loads of messages saying, can you take this post off? Can you yeah. take this I mean, it's, uh, I could do this full time and, you know, <laughs> people but, pay but, You know, as, as ever with social media, it has its issues and... Yeah, I think it's quite well. Been, I think it's been brilliant. I mean... It's I, been... It's not as difficult to fix. And, yeah. Um, it played a huge role, I think, in bringing the community together, you know, with the um, Owen Jenkins. Yeah, I mean, that was a story of last year sort of thing. With yeah, and, and, and the, uh, turning beast and purple and things like that. Yeah. And that's it, the strength, because that wouldn't have happened prior pre-social media. I no, think. absolutely. That would have been very hard to get the word out in any way. It has done that. I think there's been a shift in, in how the internet's used in many ways, uh, which everyone used to think when the internet wasn't its was in its sort of formative days and people expected this idea that we'd live in this global this global village where yeah. you might have more in common with a bloke living in, you know, uh, Sydney than you'd have, you know, like two doors down or whatnot because you'd be interested not in for a geographical community feeling. You'd be, your communities would be on interest. So, you know, if you're both from Star Trek, you're going to, you know, have more yeah. in common with a bloke in Melbourne about Star Trek than you would be uh, a bloke two doors down who you have a very similar life to so you, you create these weird isolated uh, things and I think that's totally changed I think that's people did have that for a bit and then they gradually got a bit bored of that and thought actually let's have a look at my lo- you know let's have a look around let's have a, a focus on you know my own yeah. what's happening around here this sense of community I think we rarely are we're massively social animals and I think that isn't just something which can be sated online it has to be it has to have a physical manifestation so people have gravitated more towards their own area and being fascinated by what they have in their own area this sort of sense of civic pride has really returned i've seen it you know it's not just beeston beeston probably has it more because the tram works really suddenly were yeah. so jarring and so huge but when something like you know when owen jenkins died it was it, you know um 
absolutely shocking to think about the reaction watching how the town pulled together and how um, how the streets were lined with people um i, I thought it was fantastic and, and shows that I, I think social media is neither benign or malign it you know it's how you use it but, yeah it's always you know it it makes it easier to do yeah it facilitates or or bad. yeah absolutely you know, that's and all it is it's, it's just an accelerant so, yeah. and that particular i was I was very proud to see. I'm proud of my town, not proud of myself. Obviously, proud of the town that came out like that. Yeah, I mean, it was in, it was incredible. I, I can't think of anything quite like it on, no, on, no. on, a, on a local scale like that. No, it's you know? and we've seen you know on, on small levels, lots of you know people uh, have lost caps. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, but also, and on the less um, pleasant side of things, um, it's been very good at warning people yeah yeah i mean there was a post about someone um just around the corner from where i live in chill seeing someone in the garden and things like that yeah yeah and getting a warning out and particularly in in days like today where you know there's not such a great police presence and things like that I think it's, it, it's, it's the equivalent. It is. It is. It's like an expansion of the village pub yeah the, you know the village notice board or the church or whatnot you know you've you've suddenly got a new way and people really like it it's I mean, so, some people are on there, absolutely loads, and I, th- I find it greatly pleasurable, but I don't get the time from two no. to really have a really deep look into it. But, yeah, it's it's. I, th- I think it's been a good presence. Really. Yeah, and, and it brings people, like you say, it gives people, it, it's great for the, you know, regarding the town hall. Yeah, the town hall. Um, obviously. Yeah, we, we, we can get the... stories out. We had a thing where... Um, 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 network Rail was trying to close down paths into yeah, the down down that was, they sent any letters out to like a small amount of people around, who live around there and I was one of them lived right near the tracks so um, we could get that message out like, like instantly uh, where normally you know it would it was just a few people who were very lucky one of them would get to a town hall meeting, wouldn't you? Yeah, it'd take a bit of effort and you didn't yeah. have much time. We managed to do it and we won. <laughs> we yeah. actually started them do it. So it was one of those weird things. I'm not used to, you know, I've run loads of campaigns and normally they're a mixed bag of successes and all that. Um, I did one for Wilco's once. And, uh, oh, I did. <laughs> this, 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 um, petition outside. Yeah, I did a petition. I'm still not quite sure uh, what it was all about, but... Um, I soon became a man to save Wilco's. It was going to close, and obviously that was going to damage yeah. trade. But I was very concerned about the staff because they were going to let the staff go without, you know. And so I set up a little petition to see if they could make change, and we did it. Anyway, it didn't work. <laughs> they knocked it down eventually. Uh, we did come back eventually, but you know, they. Anyway, before they built a new one, uh, while, the, while the old one was still rubble, I can remember walking through Beast, and this guy came up to me like hard at, and you know, sort of work clothes and that, and says to me. Um, Hey mate, do you know if there's a hardware shop round here? Like that? And I went, oh yeah, um, yeah. There's Hicklins, you know, around the corner and giving directions. And he went, anywhere close? I went, well, that used to be a Wilco's. And I pointed to a rubble. And he went, oh. And I went, yeah, I, I can paint to save it. And he looked at it, turned to me, and went, it fucked that up, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> and then she can write it into it. But so to have a campaign actually work so well was fantastic. Yeah. Well, yeah, all you can do is try. I mean, yeah. And I mean, and that's obviously. It's if you can engage a community, get a community behind you. I think that's essentially really the next big step would be when Freckling comes to Beeston, which is you know on the well, and... So far, I mean, I think partly the the political, it's obviously everything that's going on has put a bit of a, a bit yeah. on that. And I think the uh, the absolute mess that the <laughs> the prime minister made by calling the election. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so far been held off. 
Yeah, I think, well, hope, hopefully, I think it's just when the energy yeah. prices swing one way or another way, it becomes more attractive. But yeah, we've already, yeah. you know, we got pre-notice of that, put it in a magazine, uh, held a public meeting, got a couple of hundred people down and, uh, you know, s- s- started setting up the barricades, as it were, sort of thing. So, yeah. I mean, that's one of the aspects of a magazine that is, is quite interesting. Is it's not political, you know, my, my uh, the blog was, the blog used to deal yeah. with all sorts yeah. of things. Um about politics, local politics and stuff, and still does. I still write about it. I still do investigative journalism sometimes into uh, into politicians and whatnot. But we said with the magazine, we'll keep we'll try and keep this overwhelmingly positive and overwhelmingly uh, features which are outside politics because, you know, community-based civic things. Um, uh, and good news stories, really, tell, you know, celebrate things. Um, so, yeah, we... we uh, uh, we, we, we do that, but we, we sort of think, well, you know, we'll campaign every now and then. We'll, you know, if there's an issue, we'll put that up. You know, we've about the town hall, they said they yeah. the town hall down and they're going to sell it off. And well, we put a thing up and we worked with the civic society to um, try and put brakes on that. Uh, again, with mixed successes, we don't know how that pans out yet. But yeah, it's just having that tool, having that magazine. Oh, and the fact the magazine has, it's got a web page, it's got, Twitter and Facebook and whatnot, you know, all those, and it has been updated as sort of almost a, um, a parallel thing going off there. Um, you realise, yeah, these are, you know, these are very useful tools if you yeah. can rightly. So, and it's, I'm very keen to use them for, you know, for forces of good. It sounds very pretentious, doesn't it? <laughs> so. Before we move on to talk about the other areas that you're involved in at the moment, uh, it was a Beestonian, obviously, you announced a couple of weeks ago that they've received a community grant. Yes. Which is going to um, enable it to grow and uh, I guess secure it as well, I guess. Well, yeah, I mean, we've, we've, we've worked on a model where um, it's a very basic model where we basically print as many as we can on how much advertising we take. Yeah. So the advertising is, is cheap. Uh, get in touch for rates, uh, if anyone's listening out there. Um, and the advertising is quite cheap, and we just want to cover costs. No, you know, we don't get paid and all that. I've never taken a penny out of there. There's a couple of people who get paid little bits of money just to like deliver it or um, host it. Um, we don't have really many overheads. So it's a very simple process. You're just taking a bit of revenue in, paying it out to the printer and that. Um, anyway, um, that's my way of doing it. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, and they, then our designer uh, and one of our writers got sort of did a bit of looking around and found a couple of community grants we thought we'd apply for. So we went for one of them uh, and a bit of a process going through it and we sent it in. And quite to our surprise, yeah, we got a, quite a sizable figure, really. Um, considering, we, you know, we're talking hundreds of, you know, the magazines have always dabbled in just hundreds of pounds yeah. here and there sort of thing. If that, you know, just... Um, this is, you know, several thousand pounds. And um, so all of a sudden we've got this money to expand. And the idea is to create something which is um, a lot, um, a much nicer product to look at, a much more aesthetically pleasing product. You know, we'll be in colour, you know, for yeah. you know, years before, <laughs> years after everyone else uh, has been doing colour everything. We just thought, yeah, we'll, we'll get a monochrome. Um, I have more pages. Uh, we'll be able to eventually start paying people to do that as part of the model we've got and raise up a, a business model to provide a, 
uh, a physical magazine um, out there. So, yeah, we're, we're just setting up at the moment. Well, how are we going to spend the money? Um, so it's very exciting. Um, it's quite weird because the first reaction is, I mean, when you win a pot of money like that, you think, yay, brilliant. Oh, we're rich, brilliant. We can get, do loads of stuff. And you think, yeah, I've got to do all that stuff. And it's a bit, like, <laughs> a bit terrifying. I'm quite busy. Um, but no, I've got a wonderful, wonderful team with me, working with me, so we're going to make a success of it. We've, we've had some wonderful meetings already to discuss it. I mean, really optimistic. Yeah. But the idea is I want everyone in Beeston to have a chance to pick up this magazine and, and, and contribute and have it as their magazine. This isn't just a few editors sitting in, a, in an office somewhere, gatekeeping everything. It's We want people to be part of it. We want this to reflect uh, the, the, the town that we that we publish in. Uh, and if that model works here, why doesn't it, you know, why can't it work elsewhere? Why can't it work in other towns of a similar size? And, yeah. You know, we'd, we'd be more than happy to see that everywhere. As you, as you say, you know, the traditional press, um, we were talking before we started the interview about the traditional press obviously has trouble, traditional media has trouble with, you know, falling revenues and whatnot. Ad revenues are down and circulation's down and everything. So they have trouble. We're losing a very fundamental part of, of communication and everything like that. So if lots of others can set up, you know, we can, there's probably a different model coming out of the death of, you know, as we see these local publications ebb away, maybe something can come out of that. And that's hopefully what we'll do. Yeah, I'm very optimistic to say that the Beestonian will be everywhere, but I don't want it to be, you know, but I'd love to at least show that there is, there is a, there is a model out there that we can do that, which is sustainable. So obviously it's, it's early days. You hope you only recently announced you know recently announced about having the grant yeah um so are there any sort of plans that you can um yeah shed well, light on well we're gonna present? double uh we're gonna have a big shake-up of our circulation so it's gonna double the amount of um copies we put out because we'll be able to uh print a lot more off than usual uh and we're gonna shake up the distribution at the moment we drop it in pubs and cafes yeah and coffee shops and whatnot um, we'll be able to get a much wider uh, circulation and get to more people uh, to, to let them read it. So uh, it, it is difficult because some places, like we drop it down, I mean, in pubs they go like Billy O's. Yeah. We're in there every few days topping up. That's an excuse anyway for getting it. <laughs> uh, and some places it doesn't go so fast. So we've had to really be careful to work out which ones are good. And so that's one of the plans. We're going to have a much nicer website as well. We're going to have a, a redesign of what, what's going to look there. There's going to be quite a few design things as well just to make it an, a, a nice-looking product because it was basically set up by, you know, as I said, I was pretending to uh, work out credit card debt at, at work. And yeah. In reality, I was sitting on MS Publisher set up templates which had no skill in doing whatsoever. So we, we've not moved on uh, a lot since then. I've got a designer who, our designer Danny is fantastic. He's absolutely chomping at the bit to yeah. <laughs> to do stuff and, and get it. You know, he's doing these wonderful designs and then he has to print them in black and white. You know, it's hugely frustrating for him. So that, that'll be the most immediate change. We should be launching it at the uh, Beeston Carnival as well in July. So that's oh, a that's big so. thing. We've also got another project which we just got funding for as well. Uh, we got uh, about six grand to do a project called Well, We Are Beeston. Which is a photography and art project. Okay. Oh, is this based on the the photographs? Yeah, we did the Iron Beast of photographs. Which, uh, if you haven't seen it, it's just photos of local people um, who people are, are familiar or not so familiar, and uh, they have a they just hold the boards in Iron Beast, and, and next to it, they, we just um, we just do a few words, you know, from them. They just tell us a bit about their relationship with Beast and the town and who they are and everything. 
and it's been fun. It must be eye-opening. Basically, the idea is to try and introduce Beast into itself. You know, you see people and you think, oh, what's that story? Well, here we are. You know, here yeah. we are. And it's been really popular. We've done over 150 of those. Uh, I started off after Brexit sort of thing, after the Brexit vote, because I've heard about racist attacks. I thought I stopped yeah. telling So we started it off um, in, in disgust at that, really, to show, no, this is a diverse place. Look at all the different people that are here. And then, you know, rather than just do it with people, you know, from foreign countries who have come here, which was our initial idea, we thought, well, we better include the Estonians who've been here many, many years, or not so many years, and stuff. It's just to show that, that there's so many different people here and tell their stories. And that's been going for a couple of years now, and massively, you know, very successful. So we thought we'd love to make it to an art project where we can tour around. We also did a poetry competition last year where we asked people to write yes, poems. We've got really loads of entries, some fantastic entries. We want to incorporate the poetry, the, uh, the, the Iron Beast in pictures, things to do with beefs and then create these boards which we can put in shops and we can put in at festivals and you know at various events and whatnot which just basically give people a sense of civic pride you know uh, just a sense of sad town you know this is yeah. we, we, a town is made of its people its buildings are you know all there but they're nothing about the people so I want to really show that off and so we're dead lucky we've got the money for that as well so again more work but uh but yeah, that, that again will be debuting at, uh, will be launching at, at the carnival uh, in July. Brilliant. And it's, I mean, it's great to see the magazine, as you say, particularly in, in such a difficult climate for print. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, my dream is, when I first used to write to magazines, I used to earn quite a bit of money for a piece. You get fairly well compensated for, you know, the for doing an interview and, and taking the time to write. And that doesn't happen now. I mean, no. There's so many people write for nothing and all that. And, you know, our, our writers, you know, they're all volunteers. Um, take them out Christmas and get them drunk. But, you know, <laughs> that's about it at the moment with any surplus cash we have. But I'm going to create a model where writers get paid. You know, that's my absolute, that's a philosophy that's very driving me at the moment. To create a sustainable, brilliant product, which isn't totally just full of advertising, has really strong editorial, really good to read, and the writers get paid for it. So... Uh, yeah, that seems to be you know the the model. I've I've, I've always loved print. I refuse yeah. to die. So it's, there is something about um, actually holding it. Yeah, I, t- I tell you, the, the, the I've sort of the audience member, I'm, the reader, I sort of imagine is a person who drops into a pub. They've got an hour to kill, or pop yeah. into a coffee shop, hour to kill, and they don't want to look at the phone. Uh, and they just sit on the shelf, put it down, and all of a sudden they're being engaged with stories which are, you know, of the area they're sitting in and all that. Uh, you know, I, I do that. Always, you know, you always pull off, uh, sitting, sit uh, drinking a coffee and end up reading, looking at my phone and, you know, going to yeah. the club and waiting for someone. And, and that's the idea. And you sort of, uh, um, and people seem to respond to that. It's, it's, there's no bigger thrill than walking into a, uh, a pub or coffee shop and seeing someone reading, you know, your magazine and like, looking at them over your shoulder. Oh, we did that. We're, you know, engaging with it. But uh, yeah, it's that that thrill hasn't left me since the first issue. With most people doing that. So I think um, I do think that you you take in and you read more if you actually. Yeah, you know, I've, you do. I've got you know I've got a Kindle on my yeah my tablets and I, and I read a lot of online articles. The trouble when I'm doing something like this, there's too many distractions. Yeah, I can't. I struggle to even get like an article from the Independent without still flicking back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, 
There is that problem, you know, we have got short attention spans. Magazines are good to counter short attention spans because yeah. magazines are five and eight short articles which are, you know, bound together. I've always loved that about magazines that you can go deep or you can go shallow sort of thing with them. So we, we try and balance that. Um, but it, it, I think people do invest more into a physical product. I think um, uh, when you buy, I buy magazines still to this day and I'll much more readily read a magazine yeah. than look at a screen and uh, yeah, you do. Right? I, th- I think you know vinyl records, are, um, even CD sales are up now. Uh, vinyl records have had this phenomenal success recently, um, and I think that is down to people like the tangible, physical object rather than the download, which is just exists as a stream of zeros and ones on your computer yeah. and doesn't. Yeah, and you do invest more into it. I think into into that present. So yeah, I, I think you're on something there. Yeah, excellent. Oh, I mean, we could. Talk all day about these then. It's a passion. It's what. Oh, yeah. It's what started this all. It's, I'm sure if I lived out here, I'd probably do the same. Yeah. <laughs> but and, uh, I wasn't even born here. I was born in Scotland. I grew up in Stapleford and <laughs> other places. So this is a bit of an adopted love. But uh, yeah. but yeah, it's. I think to really love a place and really take care of a place, you have to really examine. You know, really have to have that relationship with it. And it's uh, it's great to do so. And it's great. A beast and does seem to be bucking the trend of. Of many, many other small towns of its size. Yeah, well. we've got a good, well, boring little face things. We've got a lovely library, which we're in at the moment, yeah. which is but the trend of not closing. Uh, we've got a fairly vibrant high street. We can sustain a good music festival and a film festival. And uh, there's lots, there's some great pub, pubs open here. Pubs closing, yeah. well. pubs open here. Pubs in Beast and We do a pub survey every two years, and it's always. Um, yeah, it's always, always noticed there's a few new notches on the uh, on the pub chart, which makes it more difficult. Uh, but yeah, we do, but we're trying, yeah, we're, we're good at that. Um, obviously because of the magazine, you know. Oh, yeah. That's purely down to that. And uh, I mean, you, you dabbled in uh, filmmaking. I did, we made a film. Fine, in, yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, um, I did a film club. Um, I set up the Beast Stoney Film Club a few, oh, a few years ago. It was really that Cafe Royal. It was upstairs in the cafe on a Monday night, and it was really good fun. We just we didn't have any plan. We just managed to get Robin Hood, um, who went the official Nottingham's Robin Hood, mate of mine, he, uh, he lent me as a projector on his screen and we set up in in, in the upstairs and on the vegetarian cafe and just showed films that you don't normally see. Or some yeah. films you do normally see. We we didn't we just thought we'd show films. Sometimes short, sometimes features. And then it really got really bizarre. It was always fairly popular. We did all right. And then Shane Meadows sort of said, Oh, I'd like to have a go at that. It's like Shane Meadows, he's definitely <laughs> you know, I worshipped that man for years. And he, he did a, a night at Vicky McClure and Shane Meadows yeah. in a 30 seat cinema, giving a talk and showing films that I've never been shown before. It knocked, it knocked my head off that did. And um, anyway, through, through watching shorts and getting filmmakers in, show off their work and stuff, we've got some really cracking crackly filmmakers in who have gone on to do some wonderful things. Um, but I thought, well, it'd be good to have a go myself. You know, sure, sure let's do it. So, you know, let's write a. So, me and Christian Fox, who is now the editor of the Beast, yeah. Thing, we sat down and um, wrote a wrote, wrote a, um, a script for a film, and uh, we found a little crew, a guy called Melvin, yeah. that came in to direct it. He's fantastic. You would have seen him more on the Wilkes adverts, where he normally plays junior granddad. He came on board, and he he had a very good kit and Edison Street and whatnot. So we just made a film, um, just for the sake of it. I don't, I'm still not sure what thinking was. It took a lot of work. But I didn't have much on, <laughs> so <laughs> it, took, it took a good year to make for twenty five yeah. minutes short. I think it was, yeah, and, and it was during the tram works as well. So yeah, it, it was a town in transition, 
And it, yeah, it's it, it, it still bizarre. Bizarrely, we, we were filming one day, we were filming on um, a street doing a thing about Civil War, and Robin Hood, who I mentioned before, we got him to, we are filming him, uh, doing a bit of a joke thing, uh, where he's spraying graffiti. But, um, you have to watch the film to understand the context. And I walked down the street, and I bumped into Sher Meadows again. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I got a camera on my shoulder, and he went, what are you up to? And I went, oh, I'm making a film. And he was, doing a charity thing at a cafe just on a Sunday and uh, he went oh I'll be in it if you want I was like oh shit <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes yeah, so I phoned up the rest of the crew can you get down here right now can you get down here now so they come flying down and say what what went, uh, this guy wants to be in a film and we're like oh shit it's shame <laughs> so um, it was a documentary about Beast in any way like a tongue in cheek documentary so I had to suddenly write a part for him and like, I'm sitting there you know writing a script on my, on my knee uh, while he's standing there and we're setting up the camera and I said, can you read that? And he went, yeah, how do you want it? And I said, okay. Just look at the camera and say, and, you know, say, this is the best film I've ever seen. It's better than all my films. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'll hand you a £20 note and you say, cheers, cheers. Always <laughs> happy to. Ultimately, it's something deaf like that. And I was giving him directions. I thought, I'm directing Shane Meadows. <laughs> this is not <laughs> this, I'm an arsehole from Stapleford. <laughs> Shouldn't be doing this. But he was he was so game for it. And uh, yeah. he actually came to the, pr- the premiere of it as well. Premiere, I speak grand. We just had a show in of it at the film club and he came along to that and he really liked it. But, uh, it's still, you know, we did we did it for the sake of it. I'm still not quite sure <laughs> what we were thinking, but it was great fun. It also taught me that never make a film. It's really difficult. Yeah. I really respect all filmmakers because it's so difficult to do, uh, to make it, you, you know, you have the idea of what it's like in your head and it doesn't really translate <laughs> very well. So, yeah, I, I, um, I played a, a work. You I, did, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah um, you were one of our cameos yeah, as well. So. so that was quite good fun. About yeah. eight o'clock on a Sunday morning, I think. That's right, again, I'm not sure why we filmed that earlier. We used to do some <laughs> silly stuff <laughs> for that film. Right where that sign was at the time. You know, That's right, yeah. Star, I think. Yeah, right in the middle of the tram works. Like yeah. Really gloomy, horrible, rainy day. <laughs> in November, <laughs> was, I think it was. It was great. And obviously, it took in, you know, playing on the bees. Yeah, yeah. Um, about, it's not about bees. Weirdly, um, there's, a, there's a, I don't know if you're familiar with a, there's a podcast which is a spin off from QI called No Such Thing as a Fish. I do, I listen to it, yeah. Yeah, it's a great podcast. Well, they released a book called yeah. Book of the Year, and it's basically it's an A to Z of interesting facts. Oh, right. Okay. One of them is about um, 2000 bees being stolen from Beeston. Oh, really? Yeah, it's it's, it's Beeston. Yeah. Oh, not the, oh, I didn't know that. I'll dig it out. Oh, I have to do that. made the back. Eastern does get a bench of it. Uh, Douglas Adams and John Lloyd, who who set up QI as well, yeah. who set that up. They they, they collaborated on a book um, a few years ago before Douglas Adams died called The Meaning of Lift, which was taking place names um, and giving them yeah, giving so them new meanings and stuff. Someone was talking about something on a podcast I was listening to a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, so there'd be stuff yeah. like um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but something like. You know, they take a word like crew and say the feeling you yeah. uh, have when you just, you're five P short of a <laughs> jackass and stuff like that. Uh, or and one, one, one was for Beeston, which I thought was, uh, I can't remember it, but, but it made that. And I was extremely happy about that, that we had been recognised <laughs> in some, some bizarre way by Douglas Edwards. Anyway. Yeah, I mean, one of my favourite things is about the Beeston updated page is that every so often you get a group of people that come in from Beeston in Leeds. Well, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I've had a couple of people send us articles before, so, you know, because we're an open submission thing. We say to people, send in. And someone sent an article to me once and it made no sense. It was 
didn't recognise any of the streets and Googled them and found out, yeah, he was writing an article yeah. about, a little history article about a little area of Beeston and Leeds and not us. And there's also Beeston Cliffs in Norfolk. Yeah. Um, and uh, in about 2012, they discovered geologists there hacking away and found out they found a new geological age that they can actually, you know, call it, you know, I don't know how these things work, but they managed to get officially recognised and they called it the Beestonian stage. And uh, they must have been really happy. Yeah, we, got, we, got, we did it. We got on that stage. And then they go online and find out we actually uh, we got there first. Some living idiots over in, over in Nottinghamshire. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're sort of knocking them off the top rank of the Google. Sorry about that, geologist. <laughs> oh, well, so, you know. We're, we're between a rock and a hard place. Oh, <laughs> um, so moving on, we're, uh, we're, not, we're running out of time a little bit here. But, yep. Uh, <laughs> Obviously, it's it's great to see the way the Beestonian has has grown, and I said I'm, I've known I met you in about 2012. Yeah, would have, yeah, yeah. And I think back then you were doing maybe eight pages. Yeah, it's that. Yeah, it might yeah. even have been just before you went up to eight. Actually, I think so. Yeah, we're just four pages for quite a few yeah, issues. So the way it's grown and yeah, it's, it's, it's great. As I said, and it, it's been it's had, it's been wonderful to watch. It's been wonderful to work with people, and yeah. to, to see the response and see people are responsive to it. So yeah, it's uh, and and personally, as I say, uh, sadly, um, to Peter Mansfield, he died. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Way, but we, uh, but to have had the chance to speak to, even if I did feel like the stupidest. Yeah, you know, if you're going to feel stupid, you might at least let it be an expert. No, and it was right after he'd been awarded the freedom of Nottingham as well. Yeah, that's but, it. Yeah, um, that I mean, that was that was incredible. Although he was, um, not I don't think he was massively upbeat about Beeston at the end, was he? Was it, he, uh, was, I think he, he was what you'd call a transport. He wasn't a massive transport. <laughs> he, he loved the area. He yeah, we get a lot of scientists live there. You know, yeah, uh, Professor yeah. Sir Martin Polikoff and whatnot. I, I one of the best oh, interviews. <laughs> yeah, you must get him. Let's yeah. go. One of the bit of favourite interviews did was someone the last witness of the actual explosion that happened in eight, uh, 1918 yeah. in the war, which was hushed up at the time, uh, where 130 odd people, I can't remember the exact figure, died in the big explosion, the biggest. Uh, biggest explosion on on the mainland, uh, biggest uh, lost life in the first world war, and this guy remembered it because he he was in a uh, his his name was oh, uh, Ely Ely Dan Ely uh, Professor Dan Ely, and he remembered it. He was in his high chair at the time, and the the force of the blast knocked him out of his high chair. Wow. And he broke his egg. He was and he the board egg and it smashed him. He remembers it very clearly. Um, or it was on, you know it's hundred years ago now. Anyway, he, he we interviewed him. Uh, just after his 100th birthday and he told us the story and obviously the great irony of this was that he went on to uh, become a massively successful scientist who who helped create um, um, safer safer explosives Um, and that was his thing he he actually played a core part in plastic explosives and making things a lot safer and a lot more less likely to go off in manufacture yeah so re- real hero and i sort of said it do you think that might you think there's a connection between that and he went well i've never heard that in my hundred years <laughs> i went oh really oh I thought, and he went, of course i have yeah he was lovely and uh, very frail at the time he died shortly after yeah. right, a couple of months after so we got lost into him but yes when you do stuff like that you think wow that's well, good obviously you mentioned that because obviously that's now 100 Years this year, isn't it, it is. It's so, coming up. Watch the space. We'll have it, and we'll have it on the magazine. For yeah. Sure. So, uh, cool. Excellent. I mean, I say, and it's great, and it's amazing the amount of characters 
Yeah. And I mean, you went to um, the a few years gap now. Two or three years back, obviously the blue plaques that were yeah yeah uh, the one for um, Richard Richard Beckinsale that was a exactly yeah it's now Lanes I think that was Chilwell House uh, College House College School, House yeah. I went to that I was the only journalist there because I wasn't you know there on a different purpose I was there because I got connections with the Civic Society at the time they invited me to this reception before the unveiling of Richard Beckinsale's plaque and they said there is a small chance Kate Beckinsale might come down. So, oh, that's a bit glam for us. So I got there, uh, got to the thing, and I was a bit hassled and stuff because uh, I ran there and it's a very hot day and I was all clammy. And I went to get a glass of schlur uh, from the bar, from the you know the buffet bar or whatever. And I was pouring a glass of schlur, going. I turned around to him, like, do you want a glass of schlur? Right, oh, you know, like oh. and it was Michael Sheen. Michael Sheen was like, oh, you know, I actually adore Michael Sheen as well. I was like, ah, and I realised so I got chatting to him for a bit, thinking this is not weird. Then I looked around, David Williams is standing next to me. Like, this is in a school in general. Kate <laughs> Beckinsale walks in with her husband at the time, who was a famous film producer, Len Wiseman. I didn't oh, know yeah. I called him Len Goodman to his face as well, because I'm an idiot. Uh, um, yeah, I was totally unprepared, and luckily, I, you know, I had camera phone on me. So I, I had, you know, only journalists there, surrounded by celebrities, and uh, yeah, it was it, it was bizarre. It was absolutely totally bizarre. But you know, they were lovely and stuff. I talked to Richard's uh, widow, um, Judy Levy, actress and stuff, who, who was absolutely gorgeous and you know, really, really interesting. And uh, yeah, I, I wrote a post about it uh, on on the anniversary of his of his death a couple of years ago. And uh, it got a huge amount of it. It had like a half a million people see it on Facebook and stuff. It, it just went really huge. And it was like, well, he's really, you know, this character from Beast is so charismatic. Yeah. Like 40 years, nearly 40 years after his death, he still attracts so much love and stuff. And uh, yeah, again, it's these little stories that, you know, yeah. if you don't nurture them, they, they might wither and die, sort of thing. So it's, it's great to, to have the opportunity to do that. Excellent. And obviously, it's. Um, lot. I'm sure that you never imagined any of this when you launched the piece. No, no. I, I, like I say, I thought tennis shoes, four pages. <laughs> yeah, probably... Beyond that, obviously for yourself, it's opened up um, a whole new world, I guess, and and, and taking you into full time. <laughs> obviously, a big part of that was the uh, becoming part of the UNESCO City of Literature. Yeah, that was absolutely bizarre. I got put, uh, 2014, they sort of announced, they were not tentatively, unofficially announced it was going to look to become a UNESCO City of Literature. And uh, I thought, I heard it on the news, I thought, wait, we won't get that, but you know, fair enough and all that. So yeah, I forgot about it. Then about a month later, a job came up just for a freelance writer, a freelance to help out on communications, but, you know, sort of get given a bit of a voice and whatnot, write press releases. I've got a bit of experience in that sort of thing. So I thought, well, I'll give it a crap. Don't think I'll get it. Did the interview. Uh, um, uh, I didn't think I'd done very well. They asked me how many Nottingham writers I knew. And I was like, eh, contemporary ones. I didn't know many. I knew about two or three. And couldn't remember the name of the interview. So I thought, I'll flop that. Didn't mind. But they offered me the job. And uh, so I had to, I basically took a crash course in <laughs> the local scene. And I uh, did that for a uh, a few months, and it came up to the day we'd announce uh, on December 11th, uh, 2015, which is also my birthday on that day, and when we UNESCO would tell us that we wouldn't get it, because I thought we wouldn't get the bid, because it wasn't really the intention. The intention was more to have a stock take, an audit, and bring them together. So, um, 
I uh, uh, I got a call from UNESCO saying, yeah, you've got it. Well, it's actually Knox TV put a tweet up because yeah. they'd gone and done the clever journalist thing of phoning up UNESCO. It's not as if not there was a city of literature, you know, four hours for it to be announced. And we got it and it was brilliant. And then um, uh, I, I stayed on. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I was doing, I'd, I'd phone up on a Monday and say, do you need me this week? And they'd give me a couple of hours and whatnot, you know, just to do quite a few tweets and whatnot. So they took me on uh, properly Um which was great, uh, and I've been working there since. We took a, we had a director, Sandeep Mahal, who I believe you're going to see at a later date. Yes, yeah. who is an absolute powerhouse of greatness, uh, and has done so many good things. And we, we've just um, it's just been the most wonderful thing to work on. It's suddenly you know I've, I get to I get paid to write about how great Nottingham is, yeah. and how wonderful books are. I get paid to be sent books and read books and go to poetry nights and go to book lunches and meet writers and interview writers and, and meet all these people that I absolutely adore. You know, Henry Norman, I listened to a podcast on, on him recently. Great person to write and work with and stuff. And he's, you know, I can't believe I get the opportunity to do that and actually get paid for it. So yeah. it's, it is, it's wonderful. We've, we've just, um, we, we just found out we're going to become a, that next year, all the cities of literature around the world, uh, there's 23 countries, 28 other cities of literature from 23 countries, are all going to send to Nottingham uh, for, for a week uh, because we've won the right to host the global gathering of cities of literature. And it's like, wow, we did that. You know, yeah. this, you know, this idea, this tiny project, which started off in a little room in the writer's studio. I mean, I didn't even have an office. I used to write on a Samsung tab. was you know, <laughs> my, my laptop, basically, uh, with a little Bluetooth keyboard. It was absolutely tiny, and we've gone on to develop and become this thing. You know, we've got the uh, young Pert Laureate cracking off now, yeah. where these wonderful, wonderful things she's doing. Um, there's the poetry festivals hit, hit its stride. Uh, you see poetry, uh, spoken word nights and poetry nights uh, do, do incredible things in the city. You know, yeah. I go to these gigs, and it's like, you know, the gigs I go to, and I'd go and see, like, Mud on it and Nirvana at Rock City, you know, you got the not as much stage diving with poetry, but you know, that'll come, <laughs> I'm sure. But the, the energy in the room and the enthusiasm, and, the, and, and it's wonderful, it's a great place to be. I'm, you know, you see writers do very well. J- John McGregor won one of our local writers, yeah, uh, well, won the Costa Award recently. Uh, it's just the most incredible thing to work for. And each week, you know, I go in each Monday with a uh, you know, a new list of stuff to do that week, and it's it's wonderful, it's it's brilliant to find these facts out yeah and i think literature obviously nottingham you know it's got it's got a well-known rich history you know yeah yeah um from lawrence silito but i think what what's happening now is only the spotlight being shined on the the current literature i mean yeah that's more i mean we we love our heritage we can't ignore that but i like to sit as a continuum what this the same energy that used to run through byron that really you know uh, kick against the system and uh and Lawrence as well, we kicked it, it's all hypocrisy, and then you want to define what it is to be alive and everything, but energy ran through Silito with the creation of you know, Arthur Seaton, for instance, you know, uh, 60 years ago, I think, uh, uh, who, who was this nihilistic, angry, uh, very embodiment of Nottingham, yeah. sort of, you know, don't tell us what we are, so, yeah, it's just brilliant sort of uh, nihilism in there. And I think we still have that. You look at Sleaf and Lawrence, you look at Sherman yeah. and stuff like that. It's a distinct voice. It's this voice of like, this is sort of anti-authoritarian. Uh, sort of, don't treat us like idiots. We're not that easily brought or anything like that. We're a hard-working, working-class town. Um, we, we don't particularly, we don't trust what other people, you know, try and define as us. We always kick it against that. And I see that in our writing at the moment. It's a little bit of that, you know, I think because we're in the middle, 
We're not north. We're not yeah. south. You know, Manchester's got that real swagger to it, yeah. you know, and everyone knows what Manchester's like. They say, "Hey, oh, hey, oh, hey you know that rubbish." And then you've got, you know, that's got a really real sort of feeling to it. Newcastle's got a feeling to it. Bristol's got an image to it. You know, all these places have these distinct images. Uh, Nottingham's not. Nottingham's everyone hot thought, pot, isn't it? More hot. Maybe. Yeah, it's weird. It's, it, it is. We, you know, you've got loads of languages spoke. It's real mixed. People don't can't find it on the map. They, uh, I just, just think that's created this weird, uh, weird confection of this weird creative soup, which manifests itself in so many weird ways. And it's a perpetual joy to find out more about it. There's some weird, weird stuff going off around that, <laughs> which uh, you know, Left Line do a wonderful job yes. with most of that, but. You know, I'm, I'm I'm very very lucky to be part of that, and uh, yeah, I still have to pinch myself sometimes when I'm sort of sitting next to a writer who uh, shifted <laughs> more books and uh, we all fit in this library. So. Yeah, which is um, I would recommend, by the way, anyone listening to check out Beeston Library since it's been it uh, again. This is an example. Most the last three podcasts we've recorded. Yeah, well, uh, it's a lovely place, really good place. Um, so. A shout out to the first. Big up Beast and Love. Talking about the literature, and obviously UNESCO shined a spotlight on Nottingham a bit, but also I think it's the only, uh, at least to my knowledge, is the only city in the country where an independent bookstore has opened in sort of the last decade. I think that still holds, actually, yeah. Uh, five Leaves, which is an incredible... Yeah, Five Leaves is... And publishers. Yeah, but, um, it, it is. It's weird that we can sustain that. It's not yeah. just an independent bookstore. It's an independent bookstore with, with a, you know, it's got a radical, it's a radical bookstore. Yes, You'll find stuff yeah. there which you won't find anywhere else. And, you know, some subversive text and text on uh, sort of LGBT stuff and and different, different political sort of things. And it, it's, uh, they do 80 odd, I think they did over 80 events last year as well so it's not just a bookshop you know it's, it projects out as well it does stuff yeah they do um, some great events they do and to have that in a town uh right in the city center yeah well, it's a bit off you know it's a bit down the side street but all the same it's it's, it's down the side pretty much opposite the uh tourism center it is yeah I just next to that a, a certain uh scan bookstore yes <laughs> the works yeah. Uh, but yeah down a, down a little alleyway like that and it's done fantastically uh, and it, it continues to. It's got a really good patronage, and uh, Ross, who runs it, is a is an excellent guy, a uh, fascinating man uh, who really doesn't know his stuff. And uh, yeah, we can sustain that. I think we can. I, I don't know how many other cities really would no. be able to do that, but we've we've done that with and thrived, not just survived. And a couple of the sort of publishers that maybe people don't know about. I mean, you went to see recently, which is Angry Robot. Yes, that's yes. sort of fantasy and sci-fi. Yeah, really bizarre that I went to. Um, I found out about them. Found out they're one of our top publishers, which I wasn't. They do sci-fi. They're, mm. they're sort of a spin-off. A guy who runs it used to um, oversee the fighting fantasy books. Steve Jackson and Livingstone. You know, really good choose your own adventure books. I used to love those. So yeah. the guy was enjoying them. So I was amazed by that. 
So I, I, I was desperate to see them. We do sci-fi titles. Um, I'm really interested in sci-fi as well. Yeah, really, 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 really amazing artwork on the cover. Oh, incredible. Really brilliant design. Really thorough product. They sell bucket loads of books as well. And they're right in the city centre as well. They're just near the tram stop. Yeah. Uh, they're just down from the latest walking tram stop. So anyway, I went to see them and they gave me directions. I'm looking on Google Maps. I walk into a walk in and think it's a reception area. It turns out to be a phone repair shop. <laughs> I went, oh, I'm looking for Angry Robot books. And they went, oh, right. Geeks upstairs. <laughs> I went, oh, we're far from geeks. I love, you know, well, we're. It's not, it's not a disparaging term, but really interesting people. And you think, yeah, I didn't even know, you know, these are, these are famous, you know, in that, in that genre. These are, these are world famous uh, people, but a lot of people in Nottingham probably aren't even aware of that. Nice. You know, they're walking by this place all the time. I mean, like, I'm, I'm only aware of them, I became aware of them because I know um, a couple of the people, you know, Nick and Penny that work there. Yeah, Pe- Pe- uh, Penny. Well, because they both, I mean, Penny used to be culture editor. For left light, that's right, yeah. And uh, Nick runs an improv, missing, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And play at some of the stuff I've put on a few years back, yeah, yeah. He's great. a nice guy. Um, it was, it, it was lovely to see, sort of, it is, you do it's that great. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, and obviously, the poetry festival and there's the literature events and things that go on, yeah. Uh, it's, it's a really incredible time, and it's like you say, it's, it's nice to see that. Because obviously it's always nice to celebrate the rebel city image, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, but also to to realise some great writers that we've got in this city at yeah, present. I still think we are sort of a rebel city, and although you know we don't make much here, but we you know we used to we used to no. dig a lot of the coal, and we used to make a lot of the fabrics and stuff, and we used to make the bikes and the drugs and the fags, and you know we used to have so much going off here, but that's all you know being replaced by. Uh, I don't think like and whatnot, but we uh, we we still have this very individualistic streak here. Um, yeah, it's it's a weird place. It's uh, it, it, you know so, somehow I sort of see Robin Hood at the top of it all. Yeah, <laughs> so, you know, he, did he exist? Didn't he? It doesn't really matter, does it? He, no. That idea of this, you know, outsider, you know, sort of um, batting authority. Yeah. Uh, we do it. We, we I'm not sure we. We make the most of Robin Hood, necessarily. Yeah, well, we, but, we, you know. he, he's he's more of a. There's a new film coming out, isn't there? I think. See, with Darren Egerton. Is that right? Yeah. So yeah, that um, yeah. So maybe we'll get another uh, another Costner effect, another <laughs> effect. But yeah. but yeah, I, I, we don't need. We, we, it's great to use Robin Hood for everything and stuff, but we have so much more. But we can tie it so nicely, and it all fits into the fabric. Yeah, and obviously Robin Hood as well. Um, it came to prominence through 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 stories, you know. That's, yeah, of um, course. He, he he was very much of a city man. These are stories that people tell each other to, you know, sort of have a go at the authority. That's ballads, didn't it? Ballads and Walter Scott. Yeah, you know, it's um, we, these are stories that we've always told ourselves. Always indicative of the spirit which has run through this sort of outsider. Let's burn down the castle spirit. Yeah, <laughs> so long. It's 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 interesting. You you talked earlier on about when you lived elsewhere in the country. And um, Garrett talked about the same thing about one of the reasons behind setting up Left Lion was was what how people saw Nottingham, which was you know Robin Hood, you know the gun crime, yeah, Shottingham as it was plastered across one of the tabloids, and, yeah. and to a degree uh, Brian Clough, I guess, yeah, yeah. I suspect, and it would be interesting now is that it shows I think the the way this 
city's culture, cultural scene has grown over the last 10, 15 years, that now, if you went and asked those people, the list will be much longer and much yeah. more recent. Obviously, people, the Robin Hood's not going to go away. Yeah. Obviously, the Brian Clough's reputation and what he brought to the city, and it's hard to say that as a Notts County fan, <laughs> isn't, isn't going to go away. And, um, but, there's, there's, you know, Nottingham's now getting it, you know, yeah, it's writers. I think I think this happens to it, it's sort of post-industrial choice you make, sort of thing. In cities that once we're industrial, when that industry goes, they they can be left high yeah. dry, sort of thing. And I think it's been a a combination of extremely good foresight amongst lots of the sort of people who, who run not I suppose, uh, and some good political will. Uh, it's rare for me to be nice to politicians, but I will say that you know there has been some political will in the city, uh, and there's been just that that determination to do it. And you know, people like Jared is to absolutely take my hat off to him, and, uh, and places well, places like Rock City, I suppose, and stuff that work. Um, things like the Creative Quarter down in yeah. town, like, well, I've got an office now, and that it's it, but, but, you know this is innovative, this is good, and it really is. You know, it, where would we be? Uh, if we just lost the industry, yeah. and there's nothing to fill it. You know, on, on this waste ground, let the let flowers bloom, sort of thing. Is what's happened at Stanton Market? Amazing. Yeah, that was a place that you know, as a kid, I remember it only for having a massive sports warehouse place. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and after that one, it was practically dead. And, and the way that the Creative Court and the, the people that have been involved in that have, have turned that around, it's become this wonderful independent. Yeah, um, focal point. There's some amazing little. Yeah, there's some wonderful you know, things there. No, you know, it's it's quite rare because when you walk through there, you can walk. There's a quick way I could walk, which is straight to my office. But I always vary the route because you can just exactly. <laughs> as you want to business. Business. I'm trying to find. Oh yeah, it's, it's, it's right. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's uh, it's it just shows you know you invest in stuff. Uh, you know, I, I can't remember figures stuff there, but money that you put into creative industries, every pound you put in, you get so much. Yeah, so it's more back it's and a, stuff. Unfortunately, it's, it's not put in enough, is it? That's <laughs> I mean, that's one of the things I love doing about city literature is the fact that we advocate for more spending on creative things, uh, more investment because it is investment. It's not yeah. it's not throwing money down the pit. It's investment. One of the things one of the things I truly believe is books really saved my life, and books really have, you know, reading and being able to read and write and stuff taught me. Some of its places that I really, um, some from my background shouldn't have gone to and all that, and they, they've really saved me. Uh, and I, it, there is a, there is a very very simple correlation between literacy and and, and success in life and social mobility. Uh, you don't read; you, you're basically chopping your rungs off your ladder. Yeah, you're not going anywhere. And the fact that I, I, early this week I gave a talk to school librarians and a member school librarian really rescued me at the time, sort of thing when I was in a, you know. I used to go to the library and I was a really bit of a mixed up kid and whatnot. And she really, she, you know, was nice to me. I and mean, it was, uh, it was lovely to, and it got me into books, big style. And, uh, I just thought, well, we need people like that. We need these advocates. We need these people getting kids to do that. And, you know, unfortunately we've got a government which sees it as a frivolity and it's not, yeah. it's, you know, it's the first thing to it? it is. It's not, it should never be the soft target. It's easy to close libraries. It's easy to, um, shut down literary provision and stuff but you, you you create the problem which down the line is going to be a cost you a hell of a lot more than you're saving you know? it's an endemic of the fact that, that we live in basically um, everything is based on 
a, a cyclical government time. People, the, yeah. everything is based on a five year. Yeah, absolutely. We, we no long. No, why bother if you don't think yeah. you're going to be in power to get the reap the benefit? That yeah, alliance, so they, all that matters is what's going to look good at the next election. Campaign. Absolutely, we save this much money, but you, you know, you do. I, I, we see the benefit in this, you know, with City Alert. It's attractive money. You know, it's cost. Um, it's we're funded by uh, the City Council, one third, the University of Nottingham, one third, and and uh, not the Trent University, another third, and all that. It's not a great deal of money. It pays our, you know, pays our wages and gives us a bit of money to do projects. It's not a great deal of money. Yet the benefits that that's reaping backwards. Uh, even if you just want to, you know, bottom line it from one year and stuff. You know, with this, with all these delegates flooding into the town next year sort of thing, all the, you know, the money they'll be spending and all the tourism aspects that they'll, that they'll include now, they'll go home and tell people, it's, you know, it's huge ambassadorial thing they'll be doing. Um, that's, it's a lot more intangible, but it's making, it, it is brilliant. It, it is bringing money into the city. Yeah. We've given the city a new thing. The universities, I, I sort of feel, um, I'm very keen on um what we do, I think they're getting a good return on their, their investment, definitely. They know where, you know, they're, they're clever enough to know. Yeah. You know, they can say to prospective students, come and study here, it's a city of literature, you know, this is, oh, this yeah. is now UNESCO recognised this as one of the very few centres of excellence in, in, in the use of words in the whole of the, whole of the world. Uh, these, we care about things, we've got it here, we've... And that's a great marketing tool for them in the first place, and you know it tracks really, you know, a much uh, a, a, a very decent sort of sort of student and that. And the, the creative industries is the future. You know, we don't really make things anymore no. uh, in the whole country, but stuff like say, you know, uh, and I, I can't stand it myself, but Top Gear, it's, it is a creative thing, and you know that obviously makes fortunes, brings millions into the country, hundreds of millions. Of countries uh jk rowling you know she yeah. did a book it's one of those you know how much how much money has she actually brought into the country you know it's, yeah hundreds of millions she's been wonderful for the economy one person yeah. the films you make everything the creative industry is massive music for instance you know it's yeah. librarian exports we need to it is absolutely key you cannot you cannot sort of uh, assume that this is a soft thing this is not frivolity this is essential uh and yeah, I, th I think Nottingham's lucky. We have got the political will, I think, with the council, and we've got the universities with the um, with a much more nuanced sense of what works, uh, and they they seem fully committed with us. So yeah, they could give us more money, of course. You know, <laughs> that would be nice if anyone's listening. But uh, <laughs> but no, I mean, but we're, we're we're very lucky to have those, and, yeah. and be in a city like that, where a lot of cities would just say, "Give money to culture." Why, why should we? Well, yeah. that, that, uh, local council, which was sitting just across in Brockstow, a Tory council, uh, awful, awful way they uh, do things. They uh, they don't look after that, and they don't. They close down the J.H. Lawrence Centre, yeah. which could have attracted a load of a load of funding later on. They, they've been pretty bad. But, uh, they don't do it, I and mean, you can trust that with uh, the Nottingham City Council, and it, it's. It's such short termism. It, it wants you to bang your head against the wall sometimes, but um, but yeah, that's where it is. You know, it's, uh, I won't get political, but yeah, <laughs> seems a good way to wrap things up. Yes, um, <laughs> we are going to have to call a close absolutely shortly. But before, um, yeah, before the comment, yeah, like that. Do you get fined in the library if you go if you if you know? <laughs> 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 you turn up, scan my card and see what <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's but, um, that's it. Yeah, 
So, yeah, so just before we wrap up, obviously you've talked about the plans moving forward for uh, the Beestonian magazine, which is going to be unveiled in, is it July, the carnival? Uh, July, yeah. yeah. Um, what about for yourself? What are you working on at the moment? Or, you know, Because I know you, obviously you do journalism, and you, you've dabbled in a bit of fiction. Yeah, I did, I did that again. It's like doing a film. I work with filmmakers, so you want to see what it's like. Yeah. Uh, with fiction, I work with writers, so I want to see what it's like. So I wrote a short story, bizarrely got it published first off, which is not my mate. You know, most writers, you know, I, I, I always wanted it to be rejected, so I could go through that experience of being rejected, and it didn't. And then the second one got published as well. John, all the other writers in the pub going, they just didn't get it. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was absolutely. With a pie. Uh, yeah. Obviously, you can't do that in a pub. Uh, you know, I wasn't before the time. I was, I was... <laughs> but no, I, I got a couple of stories published. Uh, I quite enjoyed that, both more or less just re- reworkings of, of true stories. Uh, so it wasn't exactly fiction, it was just fictionising true stories. And they got, both got published and both you know, sort of went out there, and that was quite nice. But I've got, I don't, f- fiction is, is much different. When, when you write non fiction articles, basically you get a load of information together and then you try to sculpt yeah. it into place. You've got the clay in front of you. With, with uh, fiction, you're building, you know, from nothing, you're building upwards. And I don't get that. So no. it's very hard. So it's. Uh, As someone obviously writes articles and things <laughs> for the stuff I do and has a Google Drive that probably contains seven. Partly written, yeah. and I can fully understand. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I read it and think this is like you know it's like <laughs> music. It's a language I don't really. I can't. I can listen to music and enjoy it, but you know, give me a guitar, I'm, you know, I'm not a clue. And the same with the same with that. I find it. So I had a go at it, and you know, have uh, fiction. I lightly fictionized at that. Um, stories in my life and stuff, uh, but I've, I've been working recently. I've been fascinated by work and stuff, the concept of work, and um, I've done some incredibly weird jobs in my time sort of thing in, in my life uh, I've always been a bit of a drifter in that way. and uh, I thought it'd be great to try and sum up aspects of my life by writing about the jobs I've had um, so I've started a little started toying with a blog which I do in my spare time not I don't get a great deal but uh, when I want to do I sometimes sit down and just write aspects I mean there's stuff like I worked at a cheese I worked at a Stilton factory for a day <laughs> didn't last that long where my job was pouring wax on top of the oh, yeah. pots of stilton and putting the seal on that was it 12 hours a day people do that and it drove me mad in 12 hours it drove me so mad I started putting my you could etch into the wax before it got sealed so I used to obviously draw a couple of phalluses on there you know as, yeah, as you want to do when you when you <laughs> Uh, and then I, then I put my phone number in there thinking it could be his time I wonder if anyone will phone me and so, so I've, got, I've just opened this yeah. I don't know I'm stuck in a factory <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we started writing really you know not just me a couple of lads on the production line and said I hate cheese and we were watching and we <laughs> seeing them up you know, they'll, they'll, they'll be, and so that was years ago and I thought you know that was just a day's work sort of thing before they told me not to come back and it um I actually wrote that up as a, as a short story. I sent it into the Idler and actually got it published, so which was quite nice. And um, so I actually had a better effect. <laughs> but I've, I've done loads of really weird jobs, and um, I've, I've laboured a lot, and I've worked in bars and pubs, and I've worked. I've sold timeshare abroad, you know, oh, for my sins. And I didn't even know what I was doing. I didn't know yeah. it was timeshare until one day. So don't try and flog me timeshare. Is that it? Oh shit! I thought it was holiday ownership, but anyway, I've, I've, I've just ended up doing bizarre stuff, and I've always thought uh, trying to make sense of existence is often through work because you know yeah. work is weird. You know, um, so many people. 
don't really have it. You know, they, they go the route of you do well at school, do well at you know, college, you do well at university, you go into a graduate job and become a person and do that. That's it sort of thing. And they miss out this, the weirdness and, yeah. you know, of, of pinging between weird jobs and stuff. And uh, especially when you're temping, I mean, you do some mad stuff when you're temp- temping. I, you know, I've, I've been sent some places. <laughs> I got sent to, I got sent to rally once when it was still open uh, to, to be a welder. Uh, they got they got me mixed up with someone else in the agency, and they sent me that. I got a list of things I had to do, and I'm given all this welding gear, and told to get on this line and do some welding. And I thought, well, am I meant to know welding? Is it? Uh, <laughs> do you know, do, do, is this just a thing I haven't, you know, like wiring a plug? You know, it's so you live, but everyone knows it. Really. So I, I stood on the line for a bit, and uh, sort of said to the guy, "I'm not a welder." And I went, "Why well, might be a welder?" And I, I don't know. Uh, oh right, right. Okay, yeah, we need to use you anyway. We're paid for you now. Go and clear up all this industrial rubbish. So, so I had to move all this industrial rubbish upstairs the wheelbarrow, and I got to the top of the scaffold to tip it down one of those tubes. Um, looked around, saw no one was looking, so I climbed down the scaffold myself and, and uh, walked out. Just before I walked out, I got a passing manager. But can you just sign that? He signed it. It was my timesheet, and walked out and got paid for a whole day. But, you know, the bizarre stories like that, yeah. uh, it's just weird about the, the jobs you end up doing. And uh, I've, I've been writing that, but that's a long-term project, with, which is done in dribs and drabs. Between, yeah. You know, I've got a baby now as well. I've got a oh, two-year-old kid. And, uh, yeah, it's a... Uh, I'm, I'm quite busy, of course. <laughs> that's good, though. Yes. <laughs> right, well, brilliant. Thank you for joining me. It's been great chatting. Thanks, Thanks for good having build me. Several podcasts. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, tell people to keep an eye on the Beastonian Facebook page for the news on the yeah uh, in there and yeah and also you can read obviously read if you're not from this area and can't grab a copy you do it is always available online there as well isn't it we've got an issued page which yeah. can read it as uh, is it, is it like it's really yeah it's, but, um, it's, I, I often do that yeah it's easy and we put all the articles we now put all the articles up online as well on the website we're going to get a better website soon yeah. as well so uh, so yeah come along and have a look brilliant and uh Excellent. And again, and check out the, the Nottingham City of Literature. Do so, yeah. It's it really is. <laughs> it, it's there for you to, to do. If you like words, you'll like it. And use your libraries. Use your libraries, absolutely. Oh, yeah. We've overused this library. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you again for joining me. <laughs> Cheers, Dan. So thanks to Matt Turpin for being a guest on this week's show. And if you want to know more about The Beastonian, you can check out at facebook.com forward slash The Beastonian and uh, keep an eye out for everything that's going on regarding the upcoming changes and improvements going on there. The grant money will be great for that and help it grow. It's a fantastic little magazine and I can't wait to see what they do with it. And uh, hopefully I may have a chance to to write for them again, uh, writing the interview with uh, Sir Peter Mansfield was was one of the best things I've written one of the favorite things I've written uh, incredible to speak to and I'm glad I got a chance to do that so that's this week's show in the bag next week our guest is 
Alice Short, who is a uh, rapper and poet. We had a fantastic chat with Alice, and that's going to be a great listen to. That's ahead of her new single, which is out next weekend on the 7th of May. So we'll be talking about that as well as much more, uh, including getting into things going on regarding uh, Harvey Weinstein, how she wrote a song, uh, Harvey Weinstein is a prick, and uh, the Me Too movement and things like that. Uh, so that, that's a great chat. Coming up next week, the week after that, uh, is Daniel Hoffman-Gill, actor and writer. You may have seen in things like Alice Through the Looking Gas, Doctor Who and Sherlock. And he's talking to us uh, about getting into acting, uh, moving down to London, living down there. And there's also a little bit about uh, how he gets how he got caught up in the world of Twitter and how he had to take a step back from that, which seems quite uh, uh topical and prevalent at the moment so check those out as always all our shows are available at ngdigital.podbean.com and on itunes and other uh, podcast apps whatever software you're using so thanks once again for joining us hope you enjoyed this show let us know what you think Uh, let us know you'd like to hear on the show or if you'd like to be involved and if you want give us a review and please uh, subscribe to the show Thanks again, and we'll be back next week with Alice Short on NG Meets. NG Meets is brought to you by NG Digital. Visit our website at www.ng-digital.co.uk and you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash NG Digital or follow us on Twitter at NG Digital UK.